You can stay right there. <laughs> God, thank you so much for this time that we all get to gather here and worship you to hear this great message that we're going to hear. I pray that you would move in our hearts. Uh, please help us to be open to the scriptures and the message that's going to be presented tonight. And please help the Spirit to move during this time. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're kicking off another series talking about how do we tell God's story? You know, as Christians, we need to be proficient in communicating God's story. We are in a unique season right now where our society is post-Christian. And what I mean by post-Christian is there are a large number of people, especially here in the New England area, especially here in Maine, that don't have a deep understanding of the scriptures anymore. They are grandchildren of ex-Christians. And so the people who are about my age are grandchildren of ex-Christians. And so they barely went to church. They probably only went to church once or twice on a holiday. But they have no clue why we believe the scriptures. They have no clue what's in the scriptures. And the apostle Paul and all the other New Testament um, leaders, authors, made it their point to know how to communicate this grand story. You know, there's so many different ways to describe the Bible, but we could definitely describe it as God's story of redemption. And so with that being said, these next couple of weeks, it may be four, maybe five, depending on how um, the fall works out. That might take two times or one time, depending. We're going to cover how to tell this story. I'm going to give you a 5,000 feet view of the story, and then hopefully after this, we can have a kind of water, water cooler conversation with our friends about this story of God. That would be the goal of this time. With that being said, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis. Um, we're going to read Genesis, all of Genesis chapter 1 in silence and all of Genesis chapter 2 in silence. So you can have the idea of how God begins his story.
All right, two more minutes. All right, uh, I'm glad we're able to read that together because a lot of what we're talking about deals with these two chapters primarily. Everyone in here, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a Christian worldview. You have a Christian worldview and a worldview attempts to answer at least four questions. Why are we here? What's our problem? What's the solution? And where we are going? Everyone's worldview to one degree or another attempts to answer some of these things depending on your worldview. And so we want to tell God's story and God's story starts off being good. Good. And so God is one of those loaded terms. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So I'm going to give us a basic definition of what, who God is and what I mean and what our brothers and sisters in the first century and even in the times of Moses meant by the word God. So we're going to go with that basic definition. It's not basic. It's actually a lot. But we're going to go with that definition, and that definition is going to set the groundwork for how we're thinking about God when we're telling the story. So this is from David Bentley Hart. He's a philosopher. To speak of God is to speak of the one infinite source of all that is. Eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, uncreated, uncaused, perfectly transcendent of all things. And for that very reason, absolutely imminent to all things. God so understood is not something posed over against the universe in addition to it, nor is he the universe itself. He is not a being, at least not in the way that a tree, a shoemaker, or a god, lowercase g, is a being. He is not one more object in the inventory of things that are, or any sort of discrete object at all. Rather, all things that exist receive their being continually from him, who is the infinite wellspring of all that is, in whom, to use the language of the Christian scriptures, all things live, move, and have their being. 
So what is David Bentley Hart communicating? God is not a part of creation. He sustains creation. God is not creation. He sustains creation. All things come from him. God has no beginning. And so this is an important, when we talk about God, some of us may be thinking God is like Zeus or one of the Greek gods. He's out there in Olympus. What the biblical authors believe was that God was outside of creation. And that's why he could intervene in the way he wanted. That's why he could control all things. If anything, the, the, God, the Olympian gods are more like angels. Biblically speaking, if you're going to do a one-to-one. But we don't do one-to-one in here, so it don't matter. <laughs> All right. This story is told with so many competing creation stories. Are anyone, is anyone in here familiar with any other creation stories that are around this time? Anyone? Tim, Fred, you, would you like to share about the creation? I couldn't give you any specifics, but I have read various accounts. Yeah. Yes, there are tons. There's one creation story where people are sitting on the back of a turtle, which is fired up. What's the creation story you heard about, Tim? Yes, yes. Most of the competing creation stories, Christianity's creation story is completely unique. Judaism's creation story is completely unique. Most creation stories starts in complete violence. The gods are up there fighting and they whatever, the losing gods, blooded and guts are just spilled all over. And that starts creation. And you're like, man, we started and we were born in violence. That's why the idea of redemptive violence is so important to this world story because so many of us take that origin story, even if we don't credit it to um, the Babylonian gods anymore. And so the Christian story, there was no violence here. God just started creating. There was chaos. There was... Um, form and voidless, but God started creating out of the chaos order. In the Babylonian story, the gods chose to make kings and emperors and royal figures in his image, and everyone else was servants. They were made of lower beings, so there was already instantly in the creation story a class system. There were those who looked like the image of God, the Babylonian gods, and then there were servants of the Babylonian gods and servants of the king. In this creation story, everyone is made in the image of God. There's not one person made less than the image of God in this creation story. And so it's important that when we're reading this story, other people in nearby Mesopotamia will be like, already your God is on a different track than everyone else. Your God seems to have all sorts of authority and no rivals in his authority. Which is really important for us if we're gonna tell this story that the God we worship, the God we follow, the God we serve has no rivals. There's no equals to God's power. There's no one like, okay, Satan versus God. That's not a competition. God has already assigned Satan for what Satan's going to get, but there's no one in creation competing with God. He is calling all the shots here, and he's doing it through his word. Okay. In Genesis 1 and 2, What were some of the things that stood out to you guys? I wrote some stuff here, but what are some things that stood out to you as you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Fred. One of the uh, things I had never noticed before, that the day was defined as the evening and then the morning. Mm. Which we always think of morning and then evening. Mm. It says there was evening and there was morning on the second day. Yeah. That's curious. 
that's big. Um, a lot of Jews believe that's because we start our day with rest. We don't start our day with work. And so that, that's how they viewed it, that the, the evening was the beginning of the day because you're starting with rest. They wouldn't be good Americans. At least in my Barnes and Noble Bible. Nice. For uh, all of chapter one and the first three verses of chapter two, uh, it's presented in a different structure than the rest of chapter two. It's sort of like, you know, oddly, oddly indented. And so whether that indicates like a literature or writing style shift between the first and the second chapter. Mm. Let's go Barnes and Nobles Bibles. Are there any Barnes and Nobles in Maine? Okay, there's one. Okay. There's, there's one in Maine. There's one in New Hampshire. They're holding out strong. Books a Million is like the Barnes and Noble. Books a Million. That's where we got to get the books from. Uh, anything else stood out to us about Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Ellen. Mm. You know, and that, that, that struck out to me that it was so. All I had to do was speak it into being, and it was so. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you know what's interesting here is the days and how they overlap. Day one matches with day four, day two with day five, day three with day six. They overlap. Like there is a God creates the skies and then he creates birds. God creates the land and he creates land animals. God creates this and he creates that. The idea is they're supposed to overlap. Like God is like, my creation is double fold. And who's, who's the centerpiece of creation in this story? Why, why would you say that, Heather, even though we know the obvious answer because we're talking as men and people? Yeah, even seasons, like birds to one degree or another don't really operate off of seasons. I mean, they do, but bird isn't like Christmas is coming. You know, birds just fly and they do their thing. They know the weather, same thing with animals, but we use the seasons. Like it's almost as if creation was intended for us to partner with it and steward with it. And then creation was good. Was good. Sometimes especially later in, in history, the, the Greco-Roman mind was like, creation is evil, the spirit is good, you gotta disembody yourself from the body, like mutilate your body, it's all bad. But what you see here is creation is good. Yeah. Every component of creation, God says good, 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 good. And so creation in and of itself is not the problem. It's what happens after, but creation in and of itself is not the problem. Everything is good, even the wild beasts, they're good. Some of you walked in here today like mosquitoes are not good. God would have been like, they're good. They're made for good purposes, whatever they may be. And then at the very end, when God looks at all of his creation, he says, very good, and then he rests. He slows down, he rests. And that says a lot about God's character. We're only two pages in or two chapters in. We don't know much about this God, but we know he created something good. He brought order to chaos, and he rests so far. That's who we know who God is. He creates good creation, 
order the chaos, and he rests. And that's really important, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we close this series off about rest. That's very important to the overall story. And so this God creates the heavens, everything above us, and he creates the earth, and he has filled everything in the earth. And everything is good. That's really important when we think about talking to our friends, especially our friends who did not grow up religious. They may be thinking to themselves, this world is horrible. And they may even think you believe as Christians, you want to die and go to heaven and let the whole world go up in flames. They may think you believe that. And you actually may believe that. You're about like, Steve, we don't believe that? <laughs> the Bible says new heaven and new earth. There's going to be a new creation of all things. Even, even creation is going to get a rebirth the same way we do when we put our faith in Jesus. Now, some of you are like, ah, it's the first time I'm hearing that, bro. But well, this is good news. We're, we're leaning it. And if you don't believe me, hopefully by the third or fourth class, we can show you what Paul talks about, especially in Romans. So we were made in his image. Anyone want to take a crack at it? You can use New Testament passages if you want, what that means, that we were made in his image. Conley. Moral likeness. Moral likeness. Okay. Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah, one, one concept that I think is really in here, it's, it's like, it's not like God created, kind of launched it, and then sort of let it go. On a, I mean, he, it's like he started it, but he sustained it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so he's like involved, and he's super involved here, and he's super involved today. He's always been super involved in his creation. He'll always be. Otherwise, his creation would just fall apart. Absolutely. And we would fall apart. I mean, so. Absolutely. It, yeah, so, you know, it's sort of tied to his image as well. It's like, um, you know, we're transformed into. Tim, then um, Heather, then Fred. Come on. Shout out to the beavers, though. <laughs> nice. Okay, good thought. Good thought, Fred. Yeah, I mean, in both cases where he emphasizes that we're made in his image, the very next statement is that he gave them rulership over the creation, mm. which would indicate that part of God's image is that ultimately God is the ruler. Yeah. Um, and then 
says the creation is subject to us, we are subject to him. Yeah. Yeah, fire. Andy? Yeah, and I think that's very important that we understand what the scriptures are saying. Men and women are made in the image of God. Like that's Genesis chapter one. Men and women are made in the image of God. All of creation subsequently would be made in the image of God. And so like um, Fred and Heather mentioned, and some of you as well, I forgot the other people who mentioned, we all have the capacity to do good. There is a theologian by the name of John Calvin who said that, um, Men are utterly sinful. I can't, total depravity. That goes against what Genesis teaches. That doesn't mean that men are not fallen, women are not fallen, people have not fallen, but we have the capacity to do good, which is why sometimes we do good even if we're not in covenant with Christ. Does that make sense, guys? That everyone has the capacity to do good. Like we are, that's part of being made in the image of God, that every person we see from our fellow Muslims, to the person who's a flat-out atheist, to the animal hater, all have one degree or another the capacity to do good. Now, the, the challenge is we're bent, like it says in Genesis 6, we're bent, and we're going to talk about the fall. We're bent toward doing whatever it is we desire, our selfish desires, but we all have the capacity to do good. And we need to start looking at everyone we encounter. Oh, that's a fellow image bearer I'm looking at. This person reflects God to one degree or another, which is challenging. You know, you turn on the news and you're like, that's not an image bearer. In, in, in Boston traffic, you might be driving by someone and be like, that's not an image bearer. In Portland traffic, everyone's an image bearer. <laughs> Got a bunch of nice people in Portland, man. They drive mostly well. Lincoln. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even take it further to play. I think God created all of us good. I mean, we are fundamentally good. I agree. More than capacity to do good. I mean, that, that's part of it. But I think, you know, it, it's more than that. That everyone is good. We're all good. Oh, absolutely. And I think yeah. that's why a lot of times when we hear the good news, we can respond because I think there's a goodness in there, but also we, we we're going to talk about sin, death, and Satan. Next. Like like we're, we're like good. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So it's really important, even as we're talking to our friends and we're looking in the mirror and we're talking to ourselves, we're, we have to look and say, even though I have a little bit of OCD, even though I'm a little critical, I'm, in, I'm made in the image of God. 
even though I hate components of how I look or how I behave, I hate that I'm not as smart as Sally or Joe. I'm made in the image of God. Like, it's very important. A lot of times we, we're like, we don't even know who we are, and God will be like, oh, you're my image bearer. You were made to reflect me. And that's really important that we understand a huge part of this story that God tells is all of us in here were made in his image and made to rule like him, like Fred mentioned. They were good for a while. We did two chapters. Image bearers. Image bearers. They wanted to be the God Himself, and uh, so the creation was good. Yeah. Yeah, they were good for a while. We don't know how long, but it seems like it wasn't like instantly they fell apart as soon as God made them. Like ah, he was like there was, there was a season of goodness. And creation was designed for good. Like, I know we quickly read through this. And again, this, this is trying to give you an image of uh, an ancient cosmology. But you don't see hur hurricanes or any earthquakes or anything like that right now. What you see is everything working in harmony and oneness with one another. And so creation was designed for good. Creation was designed to provide us resources, but we were all supposed to we were also supposed to take care of creation. And so there was this mutuality between us and creation that God intended. You know, I'm not saying we need to be like go green hardcore, but a part of being a Christian is being a good steward of the earth. So if you're like, man, I'm just gonna recycle, I'm just gonna litter, you're betraying God's good design for the world. Do you need to go start a green project? Uh, I don't know. I don't really see that there either. But we should have a serious call to be like, I want to be a faithful steward to creation. And creation was created good. What was the purpose for creating humankind? Fred kind of alluded to it already. <laughs> but anyway, someone can say it again. What was the purpose for creating humankind? I didn't mention it also. In Genesis chapter 2, God put Adam to work in the garden. I know sometimes we could wake up in the morning and be like, when new creation begins, man, I'm looking forward to not working. Working was not a part of the fall. Working was good. Yeah. <laughs> now, to the extent we work might be the challenge, but work was good. There was nothing inherently wrong with work. We were actually created to work. Some of us feel off when we don't work. Some of us feel like, no, I feel natural when I'm not working. And we're going to pray for you, man. <laughs> All right. Um, what was the purpose of creating mankind? In chapter one, he alludes to it. Then chapter two kind of unpacks it a little bit more. We created a rule over creation. Yeah. Yeah. Now the question is, how are we supposed to rule and subdue creation? Did this creation account begin with a violent God? No. Did God yell all of creation into existence? You get the impression he just spoke, right? Like, let there be light. So we rule and subdue as gently as God would. Now, 
You might say, man, I don't know. What, what? And then Jesus is the answer to that question. How Jesus behaves is how God always behaves because him and the Father are one. So we're going to see that even more clearly later when we get into a portion of Jesus' ministry and God's story. But we are called to rule like God. So if instantly you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm a conqueror. Man, I'm just going to be... What's, what's the derogative term that they give to Christians? Um, when they're like, you just come in and... What's the word? Bible Not Bible thumper. Colonizer. Oh. <laughs> they're like, oh, you Christian colonizer. You're just running around here just trying to get your laws and legislations passed and all this other stuff. We come in meek. We come in like lamb. We rule the way God would want us to with meekness, with lamb, with, hu- I mean, with, with, with humility, with, with kindness, with gentleness, and all the other good things. But we also strive for justice. The purpose that God created us was that we would rule like him. God made Eve from Adam's side. Now, there's a lot of, I'm just going to share both of these, the controversy here, because I think it's good that we wrestle with this, even as we're, we're talking to our friends and, and we're trying to figure it out ourselves. That word Adam means Adam, a person, but it also can mean mankind or humankind. And so God created humankind and then took from humankind and made two, man and a woman. Now, that's what that Hebrew word could mean. The apostle Paul looks at it and says, no, it looks like Adam was created. And from Adam, a woman, Eve, was created. So there's an argument for both as a Christian. I tend to always lean with with the apostle Paul, but I can see an argument on both ends. But when it says women were created to be a helper, when you guys hear that, what comes to mind? The wheels of a car. Let's go. Come on. Life would be hard without wheels on your car. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Helper. Does it feel like a second-class citizen when you hear helper? Okay, good. This is a fairly easy group, man. <laughs> hey, well, I'm talking to this group, so that's good. If I could convince you guys, then there's hope out there, right? So the word that the word is azer connecto. Azer connecto. That's Hebrew. I'm pronouncing it totally wrong. I bet you're you're gonna go talk to your friends and be like azer connecto, and they're like, that's not how you say that. And that's why you shouldn't be quoting me. <laughs> but the idea is, um, this is a term also used of God 17 times in the Bible. This is like a powerful companion. This is not intended to communicate subservience, not here. It's intended to, to communicate a powerful companion. Someone, because obviously in the story, an animal wasn't able to be um, Adam's Azer Conigdo. Even though we love our dogs and we're like, no, you were made to be my suitable helper. God would be like, no. Your partnership is supposed to be with humanity first and foremost. And so the female helper was meant to save strength and her role was to be a powerful aid, a powerful partner, if you will, 
in the endeavor. And so that's what they have in mind here. Um, I keep thinking I see hands up, but it's my hair flocking in front of my face. All right, and then in Genesis 2.25, it says they experience no shame, Adam and Eve. No shame. This is a passage sometimes that's shared at marriages, at weddings, when you're like, hey, you know, what you're doing is divine, and God is bringing two people together, that you guys be totally one. So God created Adam, Eve, before he created Adam, then Eve, then he brought them back to being one again, which is pretty cool. So he's like, yeah, I separate, yeah, but you guys are right back together, man. You live side by side, which I think is so awesome. The oneness theme is going to go throughout the entire Bible, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But that nakedness, a lot of Jewish rabbis at least feel like it isn't simply just talking about nakedness. It's talking about being fully and completely seen, like fully known, fully understood. Like think about sharing, some, sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with someone and being received fully as an image bearer and not being judged less. They look at it that way, which I think is powerful. And so God wanted humanity to have oneness with one another, with creation, and with him. And so what I drew there is the oneness. Don't hate on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Denise. You see those two? They're kind of holding hands in the inner circle, inner circle. There's just like this oneness going on here. And bliss. And bliss. And joy community <laughs> and so all things in right relationship when you're out here sharing or getting ready to share this good news share this story of God it's important that you start here that all things were made right that's going to sound like malarkey to people who don't believe this as early as they can remember all they know is there's been bloodshed, war, people stealing land. There's always been the upper class, lower class. There's always just been in, in, um, inequity. There's always been people being raped and pillaged, people being picked on, bullied. The, the world has always been corrupt. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe that the world actually had a good beginning, that all things were good, that the person you're talking to, even if they doubt the living God, that they're made good in the image of God. Now, the, the, the logical question is, so what went wrong? <laughs> what went wrong? And that's where we could talk about the fall. But if I were going to share this with one of my friends, I would say, imagine the most perfect world you could think of. Let me put out a sheet of paper so you could draw it. Or whatever, I'll draw this circle for them. I'm like, oh, it's great. It's amazing. And anytime they put in things that are fallen, I'm going to take it off the list. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they might be like, yeah, a world where I'm the richest person. Well, if you're the richest person, then that means there's an, a little bit of inequity happening. So we can't have that. How about you have enough? Okay. Well, you create this world. You help them. Because I believe we all have a longing for Eden. Like we all long for it one way or another. Even when I wasn't a Christian and I wasn't looking for God, in so many ways, in the things I was looking for, it was Eden. I just didn't know. I, I didn't have the language to say, oh, I'm looking for Eden. Even now as a Christian, I'm still looking for Eden, which is why we're doing community and community groups. And so creation 
we were in the right with creation. The animals weren't killing anybody and people weren't killing the animals. The, fr the fruits were yielding. Everything was good. With people, there was no issues. There was no slavery here, no class system, no racism. All the bad isms weren't here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then there was a healthy relationship with God. Adam and Eve are not fearful of who God is. They're not scared that God is this boogeyman hunting their shoulder like, oh, he's going to get me. They're okay with being in the presence of God. They're okay with having that intimacy with God. This is how the creation story began. This is a huge part of telling God's story. And so we're going to break up into discussion groups. Um... And we'll talk about it, but you can also talk about whatever else you want to.